0: Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture. A better way, where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve
1: soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a human touch.
0: Visit Huma.us to learn more. The California Department of Food and Agriculture Secretary Karen Ross And the CDFA Deputy Secretary for Climate and Working Lands Virginia Jameson attended the recent COP28 United Nations Conference on Climate Change in Dubai. The nations of the world are working together to both adapt and try to keep the average global temperature within one and a half degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit of pre-industrial levels, a goal set out in a 2015 Paris Climate Agreement. California colleagues attending the early part of this year's conference were able to finalize and announce the expansion of a coalition of subnational governments committed to reducing methane. There are now a total of 15 signatories, including the U.S. and California. Recently added signatories are from Brazil, Canada, South Korea, Bolivia, Germany and Spain. Another example of California's leadership is an additional coalition, a new one to enhance efforts to reduce methane emissions following a pledge by more than 100 countries and subnational governments at COP26 in Scotland. This year's conference will also build upon a topic that began to surge to the international forefront last year, which is the essential nature of agriculture to ensure food and nutritional security, which is threatened by climate change. The challenges of water availability and water quality and strategies to address them are featured in a number of sessions. Secretary Ross said she welcomed the opportunity to participate in panel discussions to share experiences as well as learn from others. She says they will discuss the interconnectedness of healthy soils and biodiversity for resilient food systems, learn about a variety of efforts to simplify and harmonize soil carbon data, share California progress on reducing livestock methane emissions, talk about the importance of natural working lands in meeting climate and 30 by 30 biodiversity goals, and learn more about what nations are doing to reduce plastic waste streams. She says it was an honor to participate in COP28 and looks forward to sharing more about the highlights from the event. Proponents of California's agricultural overtime law, AB 1066, have called it a victory for farm workers, while critics have asserted it will harm the very people it was designed to protect. New research by Alexandra Hill, assistant professor in the University of California, Berkeley's Department of Agricultural and Resource Economics, shows that on average there has been a decrease in worker hours and wages. Her estimates suggested, in the first two years of its implementation, California's farm workers worked a total of 15000 to 45000 fewer hours and earned a total of 6 to $9 million less on their weekly paychecks than they would have without this law in place. In 2016, California passed Assembly Bill 1066. It is legislation that removed existing overtime exemptions for farm workers in the Fair Labor Standards Act. The FLSA is a federal law that mandates many employment conditions, including overtime standards. In non-exempt industries, it requires that employers pay one and a half times an employee's regular pay rate for any hours work beyond 40 hours a week. Prior to AB 1066, agricultural workers in California were entitled to overtime pay for hours work beyond 60 hours a week. But AB 1066 changed this beginning in 2019. The law mandated a gradual phase in over four years of reduced overtime thresholds, lowering the weekly hours by five hours each year until agricultural employees. Employees are subject to the same overtime standards as workers in other industries. Many farmers feared that this new policy would drive food prices up, push them out of business, or force a faster transition to mechanization. Most reported that they would reduce hours for individual workers to remain below the new overtime standards and avoid paying the higher rates. However, media advocacy groups and others heralded the law as a major win for farm workers as it would provide workers with more fair compensation for long work weeks. While long-term effects of the law for farmers and farm workers remain to be seen, Hill's work does shed light on the early effects of the law on work hours and earnings. Using worker-reported hours from the National Agricultural Workers Survey, both before and in the two years after the law went into effect, economist Alexandra Hill explored the effects of AB 1066. Overall, she finds that worker hours and earnings decreased as an effect of the legislation. Her work highlights that the share of workers working between 56 and 60 hours a week, just below the overtime threshold, decreased by roughly half. Most of these workers shifted to working fewer hours. The share working 46 to 50 hours a week, just below the new overtime threshold, increased by roughly one-third. She found similar reductions in worker earnings. The share of the workforce with higher weekly earnings between six dollars and $800 a week, decreased by roughly one-third, with most of these workers shifting into a lower earnings bracket of four dollars to $500 a week. These changes in hours and pay are consistent with employers behaving as they claim they would by cutting hours to avoid paying overtime rates. Dr. Hill notes that these decreases in average wages and hours may be positive for those who want more leisure time and may, due to shorter workdays and weekends, improve workplace safety. However, she also warns it can be detrimental for workers and their families who are depending on this lost income to cover living expenses and may now need to seek out second employment opportunities, negating these other benefits and adding the inconvenience of traveling between jobs. Pistachio growers in the United States have exceeded expectations this season, achieving a record crop volume. The initial estimate of a 1.3 billion pound harvest surpassed predictions, reaching around 1.5 billion pounds, marking the largest crop in the industry's history. Richard Matonian, president of the American Pistachio Growers Association, highlighted the need to address the surplus and increase marketing efforts domestically and internationally. The organization plans to explore expanding marketing budgets in January to promote consumer demand and explore new export opportunities, including reaching out to new client countries like Mexico. The surplus arises from a significant increase in production with the industry expected to reach over 2 billion pounds annually by the year 2031. A fall 2023 report by the American Pistachio Growers Association projects an average of 28,500 acres of new plantings each year through 2031. The total acreage is anticipated to exceed 811,000 acres with bearing acres totaling 668,850 The projected growth aims to meet the rising demand for pistachios, emphasizing the need for proactive marketing strategies to match the inevitable increase in production. Despite the challenges of managing the surplus, the industry sees the record-breaking harvest as an opportunity to boost marketing efforts and expand the global footprint of American pistachios. The strategic focus on building consumer demand ahead of production aims to sustain the industry's growth trajectory. The Bloomfresh executive team has released predictions for 2024's table grapes and cherries. Low-chill cherries got a boost. Alwyn Van Jarsfield, international commercial cherry manager, says climate issues have challenged cherry growers in recent seasons in California and Chile and have been difficult due to adverse conditions. The climate changes around the world were a large main reason why eight years ago, Bloomfresh created its low-chill cherry program called Cherry Cherries. It allows growers to harvest cherries with fewer chill hour requirements. Areas with unpredicted water levels can use low-chill cherries to replace more water-reliant crops. Supply chain issues will continue to ease. Kenneth Avery, CEO and international commercial manager, notes that in 2024, pressure on a global supply and transport chains that impacted the 2023 table grape sector is predicted to ease with input prices and shipping decreasing. Peru will continue to leak global table grape exports, expanding supply windows and focusing on high-quality green seedless grapes, including Bloom's Sweet Globe, Timpson and Ivory varieties destined for North America. Chile's exports are anticipated to improve despite years of challenging weather conditions coupled with economic pressures from escalating labor and material costs. Growers in the region are expressing cautious optimism. As for new table grape varieties in 2024, Jennifer McGuire, Director of Global Licensing, says Bloom has new exciting varietals in development, including grapes with antioxidant levels surpassing blueberries. While table grapes are moving forward with greatly improved varietals, the sector has not been without challenges. Severe erratic weather events around the world have impacted California and Peruvian volumes That said, table grape market conditions are strong and greatly improved. Average grape prices are up due to reduced and limited supplies. Price sensitivity concerns producers and retailers, so the industry is working hard to ensure the consumer has had a great eating experience. Bloom has licensed producers in 20 countries to fulfill year-round demand and supports its varietals with quality assurance and technical teams who work with its producers. Extreme weather will continue to be challenging for table grape growers Dr. Chris Owens, breeder, says that intense rains from Australia to the United States and South Africa to Europe have negatively impacted table grape production, along with the decreasing availability of chemical crop protection. As the climate continues creating challenges, more emphasis on genetic improvements will be necessary, with advanced selections exhibiting powdery mildew and downy mildew disease resistance bloom is proactively approaching safeguarding growers as crops innovative technologies in breeding and growing are helping to offset some of those challenges according to the company
2: we know it's been tough managing inputs and resources lately that's why we're inviting you to the inputs ag summit on january 10th in fresno california this event is a lifeline for specialty crop growers pcas ccas and applicators alike it's your opportunity to get help in today's challenging landscape What will you find at the Input Ag Summit? Cost-saving seminars, networking with experts, special panel discussions, and solutions for hard times. Visit myaglife.com backslash events today to sign up for this new and exciting conference.
3: One important characteristic that we're evaluating is avoidance and resistance to blight. In the North Sac Valley, we really get some unusual spring rains, that's pretty common for us, and that drastically increases our risk for blight. We're starting to see a lot of resistance to copper in those uh, bacterial populations that cause the disease. So if we can find a tree that has the genetic propensity to leaf out a little bit later, when the risk of rains is much lower we can really reduce the risk of disease as well
1: ucce ecology and weeds farm advisor becky wheeler dykes discussing one of many challenges a new butte county walnut trial will look to investigate the trial led by wheeler dykes farm advisor clarissa reyes and chico state's rich rosecrans in collaboration with uc davis chico state and the uc davis walnut improvement program will aim to identify new varieties that will perform exceptionally well in the North State region.
3: One important characteristic that we're evaluating is avoidance and resistance to blight. In the North Sac Valley, we really get some unusual spring rains that's pretty common for us, and that drastically increases our risk for blight. Um, That can mean that growers are having to apply a lot of copper-based materials to try to manage that disease. And reports from the field, as well as recent research, both are saying that we're starting to see a lot of resistance to copper in those uh, bacterial populations that cause the disease. So if we can find a tree that has the genetic propensity to leaf out a little bit later when the risk of rains is Much lower, we can really reduce the risk of disease as well, so, in addition to that kind of very specific regional need that we're trying to address, we also want to find a variety that still meets that high quality expectation. um, That is pretty signature for our industry in California, a really high quality product is something that sets us apart as a production region on the world stage so for any new. Variety to be viable for growers to be planting and really desire to have that in their orchards, it needs to produce a nut that is a really consistent extra light color has a high percentage kernel yield. Um, yields well and then also hopefully yields earlier in the lifespan of the orchard so that we can start to recover those costs of orchard establishment a little bit more quickly. Um, Lastly, we want to see how these trees perform under some of the unusual and really extreme climate pressures we have up here. In recent years we've seen these really mild falls that are just kind of chugging along in the 70s and then this sudden drastic drop in temperatures to very, very low temperatures at night Um, and without that, you know, gradual decrease in temperature, the trees don't have a chance to acclimate and that sudden cold snap really damages a lot of the shoot tissue and then we can see a loss of yield um, and shoot death in the next year. So in addition to that, of course, we're all familiar with the extreme drought conditions that we've seen in the past decade and longer, Um, and also some of those really crazy heat spells where we're having temperatures over 100 for weeks at a time, or we get these really, really intense heat spells in like September right before harvest, so we carry the crop all the way through. And right before harvest have those heat spells that affect quality. So we want to put these new varieties through the paces and really test them with all of those unique conditions. So with all of these kind of goals in mind, we planted a 10 acre variety trial at the Chico State Farm in May this year. It's been over 25 years since we've had a walnut variety trial planted in this region. And the walnut improvement program at UC Davis, which is led by Pat J. Brown, has developed a lot of new varieties that we're hoping can reduce inputs on the front end, and then also increase yields and um, and marketability on the other end. So they at UC Davis selected the most promising 20 varieties. And then we also added four other varieties that are relatively new, but we don't have a ton of information for growers about. We want to really characterize those as well. Um, All of the trees are planted on RX1 rootstock. That's the most commonly planted rootstock up here. And then every other row is actually a full row of Chandler. So it's going to make comparison with that industry standard really easy. And it also makes it so that Chico State still has a kind of guaranteed market for the nuts, because, of course, handlers aren't going to be used to having these unnamed kind of funky varieties coming through. And this is a production farm, so we want to ensure the the vitality of that as well. Um, you know, this project just seemed like a really great opportunity to partner with Chico State It has a lot of a lot of goals and kind of usefulness that seem to apply for both the UC system and Chico State and the farm director director Ricardo Oriana and the crops manager Jeff Bowles and their entire team have been just incredibly supportive. Um, It's really great to be able to involve students in the farming aspect of the orchard. The entire farming is all conventional and it is, like I said, a production orchard, so it gives them a lot of opportunity to learn about orchard establishment from day one but then it also exposes them to some of these kind of cutting edge research projects that are going to serve our local ad community here in the North Sac Valley.
1: The last few years have of course been difficult for California walnut growers and the need to reduce inputs while maximizing yield is more prevalent than ever. This variety trial can provide a good set of options, Wheeler Dyke said, to expand off current industry standards.
3: It's really our goal to have this information so that growers can make really good informed decisions. Um, That's one of the biggest choices we make when we're establishing orchards is which variety we're going to be planting. Um, And then to your point about, you know, specifically this region, we know that varieties don't always perform the same up here in the North Valley as they do in other regions. It's really hot, we get these weird cold snaps, we have these kind of later season rains and you know blight just isn't as much of an issue in some other parts of the state, so that's a really big topic that our growers need some answers for. Um, So we want to make sure we have that information available for our growers up here when they want
1: it. Wheeler Dykes, who's a newer advisor in the UCCE system, grew up on a walnut farm and knows firsthand where needs lie. The
3: 2022 season especially brought to light some serious quality issues when we had that sudden heat spell in September. Um, The research community is working really hard to try to pinpoint the combination of factors that led to this, but we're still not exactly sure what happened. We're really pleased and thrilled obviously that we didn't have a repeat event last year, Um, but it has become really clear to me how important that quality aspect is to our California industry so it's definitely going to be a huge piece of the data collection in the new variety trial. On behalf of our whole team, I also wanted to take a moment to really thank everyone who has been supporting this project. We've received some generous donations from M&T Ranch and Crane Ranch, as well as grant funding from the California Walnut Board and the CSU Ag Research Institute all of which made this variety trial possible. And of course, the incredible team at Chico State Farm, their amazing farmers and the orchard is looking beautiful. We're really excited to start having people out to take a look at it
1: next year. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Chalstrom.
3: Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand doing more together.
0: House Ag Chair Glenn G.T. Thompson says he won't drop his Farm Bill funding strategy at the heart of disagreements with Democrats on how to make the next five-year law work. There was no mistaking Ag Chair Thompson's point, writing the next Farm Bill will take significant investment by repurposing Inflation Reduction Act funds and reforming the SNAP program. These
3: ideas have been applauded and demonized but I will not relent and I will not fail
0: our rural communities, many of whom have suffered insurmountable loss due to variables beyond their control. Thompson called for a strategic versus transformational approach to a new farm bill to replace the expired bill that Congress extended through next September.
3: These funding opportunities would not only fine-tune the, the farm safety net, uh, but increase the farm bill's baseline through the reinvestment in bipartisan priorities across other titles, including conservation, research,
0: and nutrition. But Ag Democrats led by North Carolina's Don Davis sitting in for David Scott were also dug in, refusing to shift funds from party priorities like SNAP or the president's Inflation Reduction Act.
1: We also must build on the success of the conservation programs funded by the Inflation Reduction Act, empowering farmers to adopt practices that are good for the environment and their bottom lines. The Farm Bill must fight food insecurity by ensuring every household in America, our children, our grandparents, our disabled and veterans, have access to food.
0: The same arguments that Senate Democrats made in unsuccessful Farm Bill talks this year with Senate Ag Republicans. A new report from the Environmental Protection Agency's Hypoxia Task Force shows that the hard work of farmers and ranchers to reduce nutrient losses in the Mississippi River watershed is paying off. The report reveals the 12 participating states have met interim nitrogen reduction goals two years ahead of schedule and are also making considerable progress in bringing down phosphorus losses. The goals are part of a comprehensive strategy established by state and federal agencies across the Mississippi River watershed region. Farmers and ranchers were tasked with helping the region Reduce nutrient losses by 20% by the year 2025. Farmers are problem solvers by nature and the work being done in the Mississippi River is proof of what happens when they come together according to Farm Bureau President Zipi Duval He commended the farmers in each of the states for their instrumental role in making these strides and encourages continued work to meet 2035 goals. The Farm Bill has been at the center of discussion across the agriculture industry, and the National Farmers Union is hopeful there will be progress in the first quarter. Vice President of Advocacy Mike Strands provides more insight on this hot-button issue. I think we're going to see some
3: progress, for sure, and a whole host of issues, or a host of reasons, Congress, particularly the Agriculture Committees, have incentives to get this moving take care of it. Now, I think we'll probably see action from the House and Senate Agriculture Committees with a markup in both bodies. But then the bigger question about floor time, especially in the House, looms out there. Those committees will need to work with the leadership in the House and Senate to see to it that there's a path for the full House and the full Senate to give a marked up farm bill consideration. So I think we'll see progress in the next few months.
0: Mike Strands with the National Farmers Union. Working in partnership with land protection leaders across the United States, American Farmland Trust has announced a new Land Transfer Navigators Program. It's a partnership with the Natural Resources Conservation Service that will help existing farmers and landowners retire with confidence and help new, beginning, and underserved farmers gain secure, equitable land access. Nearly 300 million acres of American farmland are expected to change hands in the next 20 years. As aging farmers exit the field, the future is uncertain for about one-third of the country's farm and ranch land. Farmland is most at risk of conversion during generational transition, according to AFT President and CEO John Piotti. Land transfer navigators will build bridges between incoming and outgoing farmers, leveraging land protection as a strategy to facilitate successful and affordable land transfer.
2: We're thrilled to announce that the North Valley Nut Conference is taking place on January 31st at Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico, California. This event is held in conjunction with University of California Cooperative Extension. It's a golden opportunity for professionals in the tree nut industry. Network with our exhibitors and sponsors who are committed to your success in the orchard. Earn valuable continuing education units and expand your knowledge on the latest industry trends. Listen to our expert speakers share valuable insights and practical advice, but attendance is filling up fast. So make sure you visit myaglife.com backslash events and register today. We
0: hope to see you there. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect.